Hey friends, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies and we try to bring each other into those hobbies with the latest news in both books and sports. And today is the book episode. And we're recording on the same day as the last episode, which means I still have that head cold I had on Tuesday. And so uh, I might sound a little weird. Yeah, so if you hear some sniffles or some snuffles, it's uh, not on purpose. It's just uh, sinus colds are fun. Yeah. You know, I've had less colds during COVID, but they're still kicking my butt. Yeah. And it's been a moderately easy week in the world of book news. Not a lot's going on. Maybe not that way in the real world as far as news goes, but book news, there's not a lot going on this past week. Right. The first having to do with real world news, Simon & Schuster canceled their plans for Senator Hawley's book. The publisher was facing calls to drop the upcoming book called The Tyranny of Big Tech, following his efforts to overturn the presidential election. And then I said, as well as him outside the Capitol supporting the (laughs) protesters with the big fist pump going on. The irony is that he used tech to cause the tyranny, partially. So there's that. The statement from Simon & Schuster said... We did not come to this decision lightly. As a publisher, it will always be our mission to amplify a variety of voices and viewpoints. At the same time, we take seriously our larger public responsibility as citizens and cannot support Senator Hawley after his role in what became a dangerous threat. And then, of course, being who he is, Senator Hawley posted a statement on Twitter claiming that this was Orwellian and that his First Amendment rights were being taken away from him by the company canceling his contract. I have a strange feeling no judge will see it that way. He also said he would see them in court, which well, is stupid since they're one of the big five publishers. Disp- dis- depending on the stipulations in his contract, it, he might have a case. Obviously, you and I don't know the contract terms, so it's kind of complex. At that point, the publisher released a statement saying they were acting within their contractual rights. Okay, well then in that instance, then he has no foot to stand on. Yes, but also your First Amendment right doesn't grant you a book Oh yeah, his his arguments are null and void. It's just if there's a legit contract that would keep them from canceling on him for saying something, because you know he was going to, then maybe then he has an argument, but otherwise no. I have a feeling that all publishers have some sort of like behavioral clause in Um, their contracts. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't see how he could take them to court and get his book published by them or some sort of financial payout we know sports teams already do that to players that are notorious for doing not moral things so i'm not shocked to hear that you know in the book world it would be similar (laughs) and like people just tore him apart on twitter which i love to see and the next piece of news i'm not sure that i'm excited about So there is a chance that there will be another Harry Potter film and not like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which isn't a Harry Potter film that's in the wizarding world. That's a wizarding world film. So Daniel Radcliffe and the rest of the cast have been in talks about a new film for a while, apparently. Now the talks slowed down when COVID happened because who's going to start a new project during COVID? Obviously. However, any other details are completely hush-hush. Like, there's no idea of, like, what it would be about or, like, timeline or plot or characters or anything like that. There are speculations, however, that this could be a Harry Potter and the Cursed Child film adaptation, which I would not go see. 
Well, you're anti-JK Rowling right now, so I wouldn't be surprised to hear that. On top of that, as someone who grew up with Harry Potter, I take the first seven books to be canon and anything outside of that to be fanon. So I do not abide by Cursed Child. I've only heard bad things about it. I actually have never read it because it sounded stupid even just in the synopsis. But the fans are actually hoping that instead of being a Cursed Child movie, that it will be a film featuring Harry and his friends in their 20s during our training? Or training? Or training. It's hard enough for me to talk and then I have a cold on top of that. Yeah. So. And then I said, some of us, however, just want this all to end. Yeah. Like, I get that this was such a big thing, but, like, quit trying to wring money out of your franchises because, like, Marvel should have ended forever ago. Harry Potter stuff should have ended a decade or so ago, in my opinion. I think most people would disagree with you. I know. But that's just me standing up for the rest of the nerds everywhere. I... I'm a bad nerd in the sense that I haven't seen a Marvel movie since Iron Man 2, but it's not because I didn't want to see them. It's just because I've really never found time to sit down and watch the long Marvel movies. Right, right. But with this, I feel like I was with Harry on this journey for these seven books, and the creator, by that point, hadn't done anything too crazy. And then all these other franchises and all this other nonsense that doesn't make any sense to me, especially relating to how everything worked in the universe for the seven books. Like, the magic just doesn't match up between that and, like, Fantastic Beast or Cursed Child and stuff like that. So I just don't think it should exist. We'll see what ends up happening. Yeah, I could see how that could be frustrating, but at the same time, it's more content, and more content is not always an awful thing. I mean, if it's garbage, yeah, it kind of is, but I mean, I like Harry Potter. I don't know. I think it's all going to depend on how much she who shall not be named is involved. She'll be involved more than likely deeper than you want her to be just because of the fact that she owns the rights to it. Yeah. Now, when does Harry Potter enter the public domain? A long time from now. I know. And... The Netflix show Bridgerton is a big hit, as you know. Lately, period pieces with a modern tone are all the rage on streaming services. The show comes from an eight-book series by Julie Quinn, the first book being The Duke and I. However, since the show's release, the books have been in high demand, and currently the prices listed for hardcovers online have gone insane. Fans can currently purchase the Bridgerton paperback collection for $200 on eBay. Oof. But due to high demand, the sellers on eBay and Amazon are listing individual hardbacks of these books for over $750. God, that's more than some people are offering like for PlayStation 5s right now. That's kind of insanity. HarperCollins has suggested that fans pick up the ebook for now while the books are being reprinted. It'd be a good idea for HarperCollins. What they could do is sell you an ebook with the understanding that they'll mail you a hardback when it's done or a paperback well, and then just go from there. Like maybe you could pre-order the first book and get a cheaper priced ebook or something to read in the meantime. Yeah. But not a lot of people want to pay for two books is the problem. 
So yeah, but I'm saying like you pay like a little bit more than you normally would for whatever the hardback would be, and then you get the ebook right. immediately, mm-hmm. so that you have the hard copy when it comes available. Pretty smart. And there are currently rumors that the show has been renewed for season two, but Netflix has made no announcement saying this. I don't even know what it's about. So you said it was popular, but I'm like, cool Bridgerton. That's the thing. All I know is it's a period drama-y thing and there's a lot of like sexy times or steamy scenes. Mm. That's all I know about it. Gotcha. I don't like historical stuff, period stuff. So like that's not up my alley anyway. But then you add in the steamy, sexy stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pass. But like I said, it's a really light news week. That was all the major stuff going on. Of course, you have the what were the best books of 2020 and like people talking about last year's books or like looking forward to what's publishing this year. Right. But I have a tag for us to do and it's been like forever. That's good because you had me sitting over here worried like, oh, that's all the news is. And I'm like... (laughs) Um, I'm sure hoping you're not expecting two-thirds of the episode to come from my opinions on the first half of Vicious. No. (laughs) It's good. So, it's like a 12-question tag that I found that I don't think we've done before. It's always hard to find tags for us to do because you haven't read that many books. So, unless I want the answers to switch between Harry Potter and Divergent, I had to (laughs) find a tag that has nothing to do with specific books. The first question is, would you rather have a friend who loses your books or dog ears them? If you're, loaning, if you're loaning your books out to your friends, would you rather they lose it or dog ear them? I would almost say lose it because I hate dog ears in books. I said I would rather they lose it. And I said, but I would make them replace the book either way. Yeah. If you lose my book or you dog ear or you write it's in. It's your book now and you're buying me it's one. It's yours and you're buying me a new copy. Yeah. I don't know anyone who would do that on purpose. I'm not going to loan you a book and then let you destroy it or lose it and be like, oh, I'm good. Like, right, no. no. We're very snooty in this house. I don't know that snooty is the right word. I think just don't destroy my property and everything <laughs> will be fine. Protective yeah. of the books. Would you rather secretly love a book that everyone else hates or secretly hate a book that everyone else loves? Probably the latter. I've never been one that's really driven by whether people like something or not. So like when you and I were sitting down going over what books I was going to read this year, it was very complicated because I don't care what other people think about the book. I want to give it a shot no matter what. And I'm not one to really DNF things. Like if my personal life is caught up to me and like it's taken too much of my time, then maybe. But otherwise, I really don't, I don't know, have that problem, I guess. Well, I said I would rather secretly love a book that everyone else hates because I do not have a filter when I dislike a book. So if I hate a book everyone else loves, I'm going to go off about it. Yeah. I just can't help it. Like, technically, I started reading a book that I'm not going to talk about in length in this episode. And you came home from work. I was like, here, let me quote you the exact BS happening in this book right now. It's ridiculous. So when I really dislike something, I can't help but like go off. I know because we stopped the conversation twice and then continued a third and fourth time. It felt like. Look, the only way to get the bad stuff out of my head is to talk about it. Would you rather be stuck on a very long plane or train ride without a book? You don't normally read on planes or trains, so 
I feel like this doesn't affect you. Yeah, I'm one that gets motion sick with that kind of thing, so I would probably just sleep uh, on either one, so I'd be fine with and either. And your wife hates you the whole time you're sleeping. Yeah. Because she can't do that. I'd probably probably choose the train, because I know I would sleep better on the train than I would on the plane. Mm-hmm. It, it would be better for me, I think. I said I would rather be without a book during a very long plane ride. Because I always have some prepared distraction when I'm going on a long plane ride. Right. And I don't know that there are enough distractions in the world to get me through a train ride without a book. I don't know what it is. I'm more easily distracted on a plane than on a train. I feel like it's too similar to being on a car ride, I feel like, when you're on a train. So I feel like I have to be, like, focused and watching out for stuff. Which doesn't make any sense. You're on tracks. You're fine. I was going to say, like, that's, I, I don't understand that one all that well, but sure. Would you rather have dinner with your favorite author or your favorite character? First, you have to pick your favorite character, I suppose. <laughs> Probably favorite author, because like, I feel like the conversation would be more enjoyable. With my favorite character, because I've read about their life so much, I already know more than they know about me, so it would be very one-sided, and I think that would be boring. Interesting. I feel like perusing the mind of an author and the ability of their creativeness and hearing more about them because I don't really delve deep into like author history. Right. Yeah. I feel like it would be a, a more enlightening conversation. I said favorite character because I've met a couple of authors at this point and I realized that I don't know how to act like a normal human being around them. Yeah. As you know from when I met Maureen Johnson just stood there. I'm, I'm going to tweet out at Maureen Johnson to listen to this episode <laughs> just to hear you admit that. Uh, yeah, it was Lucy and I doing all the talking and my wife just kind of standing there going, ah. Yeah. And Maybe so. not quite as bad. You weren't like vocalizing. But you were definitely there. <laughs> but that was where my brain was at at the time. Yeah. My anxiety was making that noise. That, 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 that's Maureen Johnson. And I'm like, yes, sweetheart, it is. Did you want to talk to her? Like, Apparently I didn't. Yeah. So anything would be better than my like robotic interactions <laughs> with authors. So I'd rather meet someone that's fictional so that, you know, they're going to not exist after this. They won't remember my r- weirdness. R- right. <laughs> Would you rather have your favorite book turned into a movie or have your favorite movie turned into a book? Since I haven't gone deep enough with books, it's probably a pretty straightforward answer for me to movie to book, I feel like would be better. But I feel like a lot of the movies that I really like are already based off of books. So it's kind of not really fair, I guess. Well, I said book turned into movie because I've read something that was going to be a movie that became a book and it was really bad. Because you don't have enough of the, like, core things that make a book a book. World building, or you don't have enough of the history or character development. Because movies are mostly going to be about action. Like, things moving the plot along. So, I just feel like it kind of ruined it for me, that whole story. And would have been better if it just stayed a movie. Gotcha. Would you rather read a book with an annoying cliffhanger... Or one where your favorite character gets killed off? Um, so this is a tough one because as a gamer, I've in the longer series games that drag out to like, you know, third and fourth generations with certain characters. When they kill them, it rips my heart out. I would probably choose the death situation only because I feel like if it's done correctly, it can really bond a reader to a series. Mm. Because if you, you're going to be upset, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I would be upset about it, but at the same time, like, it takes a lot of, I guess, 
bravery to an extent to kill off a character that people love like and then still keep somebody attached to the book itself like it's not easy to do that i feel like as a lot of people think it would be i guess is the best way for me to put it i don't know it's kind of weird I said I would prefer an annoying cliffhanger as long as there is some sort of follow-up or conclusion somewhere in the offing. Like, if there's a book coming up or if there's a next book in the series so that I can wrap that up at some point, it would be fine. But if you're talking about just you have this giant cliffhanger and then, like, something happens so that the next book doesn't get published, no, I don't want that. Because technically I kind of have that already with Maureen Johnson's Shades of London series or the Shadow Cabinet series because she wrote three books out of the four or five and then suddenly stopped and where it was left off was not a good place to leave off the series. Well, I imagine it's not done forever. I would imagine she's going to try to do something with it. I think it's been like almost 10 years since the last one came out. I want to say it's like 10 years. Boy, she's really going to enjoy listening to this episode if she does. We're both being like, oh yeah, she's so great. And then dumping all over her decisions of writing books. Well. At least you are, I should say. Here's the thing. You can like different aspects of people and then have something you don't like about them. Like you can't just be all or nothing with people or their work. And I think, you know, if someone does something someone doesn't like nowadays, it's all about like canceling them or forgetting them or ignoring all their work. I really enjoyed The Name of the Star and where that series was going. And I was disappointed when it got cut off all of a sudden. And it may not be her decision. It may be the publisher's decision. Should be, yeah. And, you know, she's got this other series currently going and it's doing really well and so like why would she go back to something that's old right if that's the case yeah there are currently three books out of the shades of london series the last one being the shadow cabinet which is where that came from came out in 2015 so it's been five years six years almost that's a lot better than 10 years i guess but like just because i'm frustrated with where that left off doesn't mean i don't enjoy the truly devious series which I've been loving like four and five stars across the board for that series for me. So right. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. But having had that experience has led me to feel like I don't want that again. Yeah. I'd rather you kill off my favorite character and make me cry or lose my soul or whatever (laughs) than the whole cliffhanger situation. (laughs) Would you rather lose the ability to read any new books or lose the ability to reread books you've already read? I think reread books would be the one I would lose just because there's so many books I haven't read. I feel like it's a very easy decision (laughs) that there are a lot more options on one side than the other. Yeah, yeah. Like... I knew that would be an easy decision for you. Yeah, that was like a common sense answer. I said I'd rather neither of these things, but if I have to pick, I'd rather lose the ability to reread books because there's always something like new or exciting and like yeah there's nothing technically original anymore but like there are ways to turn things on their head and take what's expected and make it something you had never even thought of before right and there's areas and genres that right now i don't want to explore so i haven't read a lot of but who knows how i'm gonna feel in 10 years i may be a completely different person I would imagine we would be at least a little bit. So I can't go with rereading my old favorites forever because I feel like some of them aren't going to stand up the test of time. Right. Would you rather live in a library or live in a bookstore? Mm, That's a tough one. And my answer is going to be kind of strange. I 
I would probably want to live in a bookstore just because in a library you have the tendency, A, to not have very good food options. Okay. B, I feel like because this is, like, I'm not a germaphobe, but like the amount of people that get their hands on copies of books from the library versus in bookstores, I feel like is drastically different in number. Well, I'm sure people touch books in bookstores. Oh, I, I, they do, without a doubt. But I'm saying, like, which one's going to have the most foot traffic touching it, possibly? I would imagine the library would. Mm. Obviously, in current day society, maybe not as much as it used to, but, like, still pretty busy. Yeah. I just said bookstore because who hasn't daydreamed of being a bookstore cat? <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you loved books as much as I want you to, you would know that that's a common thing. I, I love bookstore cats um and i could be a bookstore cat it'd be cute well and you know and you know that i do because i broke some rules that you're not supposed to do at shakespeare and company yes but the cat was so cute i'm sure you're not the first person to break that rule at that store and the cat was showing me the tongue which means there's a cat trust me would you rather lose your place in your book or get a paper cut every time you pick up a book to read? So do I lose my place in the book every time or is it, it like... It doesn't say. I'm going to say... Based off that description, I'd rather lose my place at least yeah. than getting paper cuts. I deal with a lot of cardboard and paper in my job and it's the worst feeling in the world, especially in the pandemic right now when you put hand sanitizer on mm-hmm. after having an interaction with a a customer or a client or a vendor you feel like you're getting stabbed with tiny knives in your hands it's really fantastic i said i would rather lose my place yeah because i'm very good at remembering numbers specifically so like i would just remember the last numbers that i saw and be like it's somewhere around here would yeah. be a problem and this question i don't really like but it was on here okay would you rather have to always read in the dark or always read books with tiny text? As someone who can't read in the dark because my night vision of, is bad. The definition of dark would be the... Low lighting is yeah. what I'm thinking of here. Yeah. yeah. I would rather read smaller print mm-hmm. only because, like, you know me, I, I have good vision. I could probably read just fine in low, low light. Like, that's not the complication. I just know that that does serious damage to your eyes, whereas fine print doesn't nearly as much. So, like, Well, also, if you're only allowed to read books with tiny text, does that mean I can get a magnifier and just I, read it with a magnifying glass? You're always glass? looking for an out. Yeah. I, I feel they like try that's to the trap problem with your questions. They're trying to trap you. That's Why wouldn't purpose. I look for an the out? The purpose is to accept being trapped. <laughs> I said I would prefer neither, but I would pick the tiny text just because I have horrible night vision, so yeah. I would never be able to read at all. You'd be like, sweetheart, what's this word say? What does this line say? What does this whole book say? Can you it, read it to me? It would be pretty bad. And then the last question was easy for me. Would you rather read by a fireplace or on the beach? fireplace growing up in san diego i i enjoy beaches i've never understood the idea of sand and paper yeah i don't get it um like sandpaper i understand its purpose (laughs) but sand and paper not a good combination well and like you have an aunt who like loves the beach and i just don't get that i'm not a beach girl yeah and like having lived in california with you for a while i just saw so many people that love the beach i'm like we went to the beach maybe a handful of times (laughs) And it was always the dog beach. Yeah. Because we like dogs. Or the beaches where we were having bonfires. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. So, yeah. I was only ever at the beach because of you. Yeah. And so, 
obviously my answer is a fireplace. I'm more of a like trees and woods and forest kind of girl and not a beach girl. Hey, I am not a girl like that, but I am a guy like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I understand. I'm glad to know you are also not a beach girl. Yeah. If I did, that would be very confusing or very confusing conversion, you know, for me to go through. I am a normal guy, day-to-day life, and then when I get to the beach, I'm a beach girl. <laughs> I don't know how that would work out. I, I have a very funny <laughs> image of you in a bikini running around on the beach. Yeah. So. Would it be a red one, just like Baywatch? You know, just for like real level of giggles. But don't they have full one pieces? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then that, I'll yeah. put you in that in my head. Yeah. But that was <laughs> the whole thing. Got a little weird there Random at the end. tangent for y'all, sorry. As for what I've been reading lately, I did a good job and only read two books last week. Yeah. Because I'm trying not to do what my mind wants me to do, which is read as much as I can, as fast as I can to keep up with a lot of the book community online. Yeah. On the book turnet, as it is sometimes called. No, it's the internet. Stop that. <laughs> the book corner of the internet. So I first read Kisses and Croissants by Anne-Sophie Johano. She is apparently French. That was her first English book. Hmm. And there were a couple moments where you could tell. Yeah. Because, like, for most of the book, it wasn't a problem. And I never noticed or thought to look into it. But then there was a section towards the last third or so where there were a couple moments where I'm like, this doesn't quite work logically for my English speaking brain. And I looked into it and she is French. It kind of makes sense though then. So I think it might have been just how a French person thinks versus how someone from America thinks more than anything. Yeah. But it was a NetGalley arc. This book releases on April 6th of 2021 so you have a couple months there for that i rated it 3.5 stars and i think it's just because i'm not part of the demographic they're going for i am not the target audience i am a 31 year old woman living in roughly dallas texas and so like i am not gonna be the person who reads this and like daydreams about this sort of thing happening to me A lot of the problems and faults that I found with this are just me being almost twice as old as the main character. Yeah. And so the story is about a girl who has always been into ballet. Her family loves ballet. Her mom did ballet. Her grandma did ballet. Like, it's in her blood. And she gets accepted into a ballet program for six weeks over the summer in Paris, And while she's there, she meets a guy and they start to have this romance, but she's working 8, 10, 12 hours a day on the ballet stuff. And then on the weekend, going on these adventures with him to try to discover if maybe her great, great, great grandmother might have been one of the ballerinas in the many Degas painting that he does of ballerinas. And like... It's a cute story. Their romance is sweet and like the difficulties they experience seem realistic. It's just all the times when she should have been doing her ballet stuff and she went off with him. I was like yelling at the book like what are you doing? You're throwing away your opportunity. Do you know how rare this is? And like all this other stuff which is like a total mom move. Like I understand that that is just me being me and not being a 16 year old girl in Paris, France. 
It's okay. If it makes you feel any better, like I've I've had those moments with my brother. Like naturally, talent just kind of comes to him, and then he just never chooses to use it. And I'm like, ah, I hate you. Why are you doing this? Well, that's how I felt about the book. Okay. And so, like, my reading is more reflective of where I am in life than the actual quality of the book. In mm. in how I felt about the book and all of that. So. I think if you are part of the target demographic, this would be a cute read for you. I also think that if you've ever been to Paris, you can pick up on a lot of the sort of details that the author is dropping in about Paris. At the same time, it does feel a little heavy-handed because it's like, for the people who haven't been to Paris, she needs to specifically pinpoint where you are in the city by all these obviously touristy destinations so you know where everything is at. I think this could have been remedied with like a map. Like if you've been to Paris, you don't really need a map per se, but for those people she gave these heavy handed hints to maybe doing a map instead and laying off a little bit of all the touristy stuff might've helped the cause. Would have helped the cause. But overall it's really cute. If you're a young adult, it's very good for you. But then we also got into Vicious by V.E. Schwab. This was a reread for me. I first read it in 2018. I rated it five stars then. It still gets five stars now. Like, this is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. This is the first five star I've put on the podcast, I think. Yeah, it is, without a doubt. But it's also a reread, so, like, I knew it would be a five star. Yeah. So, Vicious is about Victor and his college roommate, Eli, who are studying the theory of extraordinaries, who are people who have some sort of power. Well, Eli is the one that's studying it, mostly. Victor is just kind of along for the ride. Right. And so I'm trying not to give away too much because you've only read half the book. And so their relationship changes over time and everything sort of comes to a head 10 years after they do some experiments. Yeah, so they are like best bros at the beginning so far and now they're like mortal enemies about where I'm at in the book. So. Yeah. And I think for me, the thing that really makes this one of my favorite books of all time is how intricately plotted and planned this book was, not just the writing, because it's told in a dual timeline. So you get the like back then and then you have the roughly now time frame when it's leading up to a conflict that may or may not happen. And so you have these two timelines, but the way everything is revealed is done really well. And, I, I would agree. And so like you were not given too much information too soon and it's not held back for you for too long. And I think just it's so good. It is so freaking good. So the thing that I've liked the most about it, like, is not necessarily the back and forth, because I am not a flashback, flash forward type person. Right. The timelines, though, like you said, are really well done. Like, considering that it is something that I dislike, I have a distaste for, it's growing on me with this book, which is weird, because as long as I've read books and or seen movies, I feel like a lot of times it's misused. Right. And in this book, it's not. 
I was talking to an employee the other day about it at work, and she is a big Hunger Games fan. And so I was like, oh, that's great. I'm going to be reading that probably at some point this year. I'm really excited about that, too. I go, I really think you'd like this book just based off of what I know about Hunger Games. And, like, it's darker, and I think that as you get along in Hunger Games is kind of the way it gets, right? Right. So I told her, I go, it's really, really great. And I go, the only thing that I'm running into a problem with was the flash forwards and flashbacks. So she came in at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week. And at the end of the week, I was completely reversed. Yeah. I was like, it's great. Um, the flashback flash forwards are not a problem. Like, yeah. I'm whizzing right past them. I think it's because it's less used as something to put, like, a blinder on the reader to keep them from getting all the information too soon, and more used as a method of storytelling than, it like... It move the story. Right. And yeah. so, between that and the short pages in the chapters, the short chapters, it... Yeah, guys, literally sometimes less than a whole page. It literally feels like it's just forcing you to keep going. Yeah. And it's so good. It is so freaking good. I absolutely love this book. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to start the second half of it this upcoming week. Just the characters, like, I'm somebody who gets attached to characters. And sometimes when I feel like authors are trying to add too many too fast, it can be a problem. Yeah. But again, I don't. Like, I feel like the pace at which you're learning about people is good. It's healthy. Right. I will say, I wish I knew a little bit more about what was going on with Sydney earlier in the book. Like, you do wait till, like, the middle, like, I guess, quarter of the way through the book to really get to know why she's even there. Right. I feel like part of the reason for this with Sydney is that it makes sense for her not to want to open up too much too soon. Right. With Eli and Eli, Mitch. No, with Victor, uh, with and, Victor Mitch. and With Victor and Mitch, sorry. Because of what just happened with Eli and her sister. Right. Like, her sister is the one person she had in the world. Then she goes off to college, and then this thing happens, and then well, she thinks they're reconnecting, and it's just so she can get her sister killed. Yeah. The, the thing really is, though, too, is the reason you don't really get to know much about Sydney right away is because you haven't gotten her backstory yet. And so, like, the flash forward flashback required there to be time before you kind of learn that. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. Right. So, again, it's it's where it should be, as far as my opinion is. Like, it kind of lands where it needs to be, even though I wish I would have learned a little more earlier on, but at the same time, I realized that there was a reason I didn't. Yeah. So, I think V. Schwab, for the most part, nailed the timeline side of it so far. I'm hoping it doesn't get ruined as I go along in the second half. But... Right. Well, and in rereading the whole book, I'm going to try not to ruin anything for you. Right. Because you've only read the first half. Yeah. There is... Something that happens towards the end of the book, and the first time I read it, I was so freaking scared and nervous, and, like, I had so much anxiety about it. And I thought because this is a reread, I would not feel the same way. But the emotions just welled up in you just the same? I was so nervous. And I was like, why are you nervous? You know how the book ends. But I still felt that way. And so, like, considering this is either my second or my third time reading this book, I want to say my second... And I still felt all those emotions at the climax of the story. I feel like that tells you just how good V. Schwab's writing is. And, like, I could gush because, like, this is one of my favorite books of all time. So you're going to have to cut me off at some point. Well, but I think, honestly, the character development was very well done. I liked the friends to foes kind of 
yeah. writing style that's going on. And there's I... also something there in two different ways for me that I really enjoyed. One being the found family aspect, like between Victor and Mitch and Sydney, and like they're this weird group that doesn't really make sense when you look at it, but when you read the story and you see how each of them got there and you get Sydney's backstory and Victor's backstory and Mitch's backstory, all of a sudden it makes sense and like their personalities and their stories kind of work together. Yeah. Like Mitch's backstory literally had me laughing out loud. And so I'm not going to spoil it because if you're reading it for the first time, you will thoroughly enjoy it. But it was definitely not what I expected to say the least. And when it happened, I was like, oh my God, like this kind of explains a lot about him. Well, it's taking a certain like trope, a certain style of character that you always see in these kinds of stories and kind of turns it on its head. Yeah. And I loved that. I love seeing that. But the second thing that is done really well that I love that has turned this into a book that I point to and go, these are my favorite morally great characters. And it's that thing that both Victor and Eli saw in each other when they were going to school together where they're both like trying to fake at really being good humans and faking the emotions and behaviors that other people have that they don't actually feel, which screams psychopath. Like that just screams that you're both psychopaths. But then you also have them having their own sort of idea of morality and what's right and what's wrong and they both believe that they're the good guy. And in reality, they're both doing bad things for different good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. At first, I can agree that they both, like, they definitely both think they're good guys no matter what. But oh, yeah. in my mind, one of them really jumps out as the bad guy now. So yeah. it's like, it's clearing itself up a little bit. Like, I think that the bad guy-ness for Victor is probably a little misplaced at the beginning, but like, it kind of makes sense based on what you know. So my thing is like, there is one that I would say like, you're definitely behaving the worst out of of you too. You're the worst. But then you have this other one who I'm like, you're not so great either. Yeah. Derry mentioned Barry. I feel like that was kind of like the nail in the coffin pun intended for Barry was Victor's like, I'm like, oh, maybe he's still a bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So. And like, he's doing these like monstrous things, but like, it's for a good reason. So like, I support you, but like, please stop. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. But I, I, I've grown attached to the characters and I feel like whatever's coming is going to wreck my life. So, (laughs) because when you get attached to characters like this, that's kind of usually what happens. Something is going to go haywire very quickly. And I... I think I've talked to you about Vicious before we even thought about you doing book stuff, but I think I said then, and I'll say it again, I don't know why this isn't a movie. It very well should be. Because, like, this could be such a good I think the flashback flash forward would be irritating in movie form, more so than it does in book, but... I think it would have to be restructured. I think all of the, like, ten years ago timeline would have to happen... Yeah. And then all of the current timeline and you'd have to restructure all these like little tiny reveals that she gives to you in each chapter. Yeah. So that it makes more sense chronologically. But like there's so much action. There's so many good characters. There's so many characters that are bad, but you like them. So they're technically good characters. 
And, like, everything about this screams that it should be a movie to me. I don't disagree. I think it would be a good movie, but... I feel like it would be a lot of work for the writers and producers to try to make it work. And I think that's probably why it's not a movie yet. Yeah. I think the author would probably have to be the one writing it. Yeah. Though she is having something come out in the next couple of years. That short story for that vampire collection. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Is becoming a movie. So maybe after she experiences that, she'll have what she needs to turn the other thing into a movie. Yeah. I feel like it could go on, but I would be dumping whole sections of plot on people and like that's that's the one thing that's sucky about this book is like like you're saying you're like i want to talk about it but it will ruin things and right and without a doubt that's the pickle i'm in like it's just the characters are so important to be exactly the way they are but if you talk about it then you're giving up whole chunks of the book right i want to go more in depth i really do but at the same time either we're going to be here for hours or we'll have me hemorrhaging on about little things in the book and i will say that there are a couple of victims of this thing happening between eli and victor that i feel like did not get enough screen time to impact me emotionally with their deaths And I think maybe that would be a different story if we got more page time with them. But at the same time, maybe that's not the point. Maybe the point is that you're supposed to feel the way Victor and Eli might have felt whenever those victims happened. And so, like, I don't know, that's that's really well done, too. Yeah, the deaths are... Like, they, they fit their characters pretty well. As you get to know the character, you're like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. That would be the way that... Eli goes and that would be the way that Victor goes so there's also a moment that Eli is trying to start to clean up what's happening right in the 10 year the beginning of the 10 year backstory and he does something really stupid and almost like gets caught for what he's trying to do but like that just showed me very early on that like he's just a guy like he he's doing villainous things but he's still just a dumb college kid at that point well dumb in the sense of like street smarts yeah well yeah yeah he's obviously very smart yeah but i don't know i think all the characters are very well thought out planned out and like the They're all part of the puzzle. If they weren't there, then it would be a problem. Yeah, I think it's just executed very well. I also love the scene, and I love and I don't love the scene with the dog. Oh, Dole? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mention him because I didn't know if you had gotten there yet. But yeah, yeah, he's part of their little family. Yeah. Um, I was like, it's really dark to just kill the dog. Well, I mean, Sydney wanted him to do it because it would put him out of his misery. Yeah. And she brought him back anyway. Yeah. Maybe a little spoilers there. He's very cute, though. Yeah. I think everybody has a different picture of what it would look like, though, for the dog, obviously, in their own head, so... Well, but he's supposed to be a big black dog. Yeah. Like, what kind of dog, though? You don't know. Could be... A a... big black dog. Well... (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for that. I really appreciate it. Definitely made it easier on my brain. Yeah. But you're going to be finishing Vicious this next week, and we'll get your more in-depth thoughts about everything and how it happened. Yeah, and and next week I think we'll probably go a little more in depth with things than we did this week. I just 
I don't want to go too far because I worry about ruining something for you. And this is such a good book for me that I don't want to do that. Yeah. I know that sometimes I've had one or two slip ups in the podcast when it came to Harry Potter. Yeah. And I don't want to even come close to doing that here. And the crappy thing is I caught all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to leave Vicious at that until we come back next week and can talk about it more in depth without ruining anything for you. Correct. But as for what... I will be reading next because I technically won't be reading any V Schwab next week since I read all of Vicious this week. Yeah. I have a book from your mother. She gave it to me for Christmas and it's called Sag Harbor by Colson Whitehead. This is a book about a black kid in the 1980s, 1983 to 85 so far, who is going to a private school. His parents are doing well and he feels like he doesn't fit in with them because he's too black. But then during the summer, they go to their beach house in Sag Harbor, close to the Hamptons, or in the Hamptons. I don't know enough about the Hamptons to tell you. Where Sag Harbor is. And he is living in a black community there, and he feels like he doesn't fit in with them because he's too white. And I've read books with that kind of narrative before and enjoyed them, so I thought I would like this one, and... It's a gift from your mom, so I want to read it. Also, it happens nearer in the Hamptons, and from watching the TV show Revenge, I kind of, like, dig that a little bit. Right. So, I'll hopefully get through that early in the week. I've technically read a third of it already, and, uh, oh boy. (laughs) I thought I read the worst book ever last year, and I might possibly be wrong. But I also have about two-thirds of it left to go, so maybe... There's still a chance that it could turn around. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. (laughs) I'm a little nervous. Fingers crossed. And then finally, The Old Guard Book 2, Force Multiplied by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez arrived. It's the second out of, I guess, three of these bind-ups that they're doing. This one came out last year, I think. Yeah. Like, the comics came out before then, but the bind-up itself didn't come out till last year. So I'm not sure when the third one's coming out. I don't know what to expect. It's more of our immortal married husbands and their friends. Yeah. So I'm excited to read that one. And then I got my copy of Enjoy the View by Sarah Morgenthaler like a week early. So. Hooray! I'm probably going to read that at the end of the week. So it's a little bit closer to the release date. Yeah. When I review it, it is a new release out on January 19th. It is book three in the Moose Springs, Alaska series. And it as is... As much as you hype up this series, I'm shocked she's not paying you to receive the books early. Ha ha ha. Well, it's also the last one in the series, so there Ooh. went my opportunity. Yeah, out the window. It is... A set of contemporary romances set in Alaska in a touristy town where the locals don't like the tourists. Okay. But then I guess a few of them happen to fall in love with tourists, at least so far. And one of my favorite side characters is getting his own romance finally. Easton is falling in love with a tourist in this one. They're all really quick and easy reads. I think the first one I read in one sitting and it was almost 400 pages. Okay. And the second one I read over the course of like two days, so... This won't be a problem to read, along with the Old Guard, which should only take one day to read. Really, Sag Harbor is going to be my problem next week. It's going to be the slow, snail-paced read. Yeah, but I really don't want to DNF a gift I got, especially not from my mother-in-law. 
that, yeah. that feels like a bad idea. Yeah. So I will push on, hopefully finish it early in the week, and then I can have the rest of the week. To enjoy some other things. For things that I'm really, really looking forward to. Yeah. Because I don't like DNFs in general, but I also feel like I should get a reward if I get through a book without DNFing it when I wanted to. Maybe we'll do like a Taco Tuesday. A Taco in the Old Guard Tuesday. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. I think that's everything I have. It's definitely everything I have because I work far too much to be able to read nearly as much as you do. Well, that's all right. We will talk to you guys next week. Make sure that you check out all the social media that we have linked in the show notes. We promise we're trying to be more active with that. But we will catch you next Tuesday for a sports episode. Where the sports are coming back. Yeah, we'll have hockey completely back, which is exciting. Basketball will be back. They'll start to talk about spring training coming in like the late February, March. So yep, for baseball. Yep. Uh, and then football is obviously going on as well. I don't know why I completely ignored a sport that's in the playoffs right now. Don't worry. I often ignore the NFL. Yeah. But we appreciate you guys' time and we'll catch you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.